Bill, tell me about your sister. Tell me. I want to hear about her. I want to hear what what she was like. And did you have a close relationship and growing up with her? What was she like? Well, thank you. Yeah, we'll switch to something a little more upbeat. Well, I come I come from a um, uh, an Irish Catholic family. My dad is from Lowell, Massachusetts. My mom's from Lawrence, Massachusetts, both on the Merrimack River. My dad was a naval officer. And so my dad, my older brother, Richard, and my younger sister, Kathy, are the first father, son, daughter graduates of the Naval Academy. So Kathy's in the second class with women at the United States Naval Academy. So Kathy's the fourth of four kids, like I said, Irish Catholic family. Uh, she's the youngest. She's the only girl. And Kathy Thomas is one of these people that was great at everything she did because she worked harder than anyone you'd ever met in your life. It wasn't necessarily that she was smarter or more athletic, but she was more determined and she would just work her buns off. Let me give you an example. She graduated from high school in 1977. Now in the 70s in Lowell, they were just setting up women's track teams. I know this, I mean, now we all think about women's athletics and they're everywhere, which is fantastic. But back then, this wasn't that common. So they were putting together a women's track team. Now, Kathy was a runner. She tried out for the track team. She made the team. And while they were filling out, you know, the roster, it came to pass that they didn't have anybody to throw the shot. That's that very hard metal ball that you see shot putters throw. And once I held one, which is after Kathy agreed to become the shot putter and in addition to running a number of track and field events, she brought this ball home in her gym bag and it weighed like a ton and I, I could barely pick it up. And even though she'd never thrown the shot before, because they needed someone to be the shot putter, she would bring the ball home on the bus every single day and then practice for hours in my parents' front yard, putting all these dents in the <laughs> My dad wasn't too pleased. Because <laughs> we'd mow the lawn and we're like, what are all these weird divots? Because Kathy's out there throwing this metal ball. But she worked so hard, despite the fact that she'd literally never held a shot before. She actually became a championship shot putter just by working harder than anyone you'd ever seen. And she did that with every single thing she did. Now, she was also a fun, upbeat, extremely funny, kind of slightly devilish uh, individual. She liked to play pranks and jokes and that sort of thing. And so she'd figure out ways to get um, put one over on her older brothers. So there's my older brother, Richard. I'm the second. My younger brother, Jack. And then Kathy. And she really more than held her own. We actually realized later, even though we'd all played sports, we actually realized Kathy was the best athlete on top of everything else, you know, of the four of us. So she was just an amazing person. And when she made the decision to follow my older brother and my dad into Naval service, we were really concerned because we knew that they had just opened up the service academies to women and we knew that she was in for a very rough ride and it was really bad. And I mean, really bad. 
This is not the Navy's finest hour or the finest hour at Annapolis for that matter. But she got through it. And again, it was all through that determination. And her classmates, particularly the female classmates, said that she used to have a, an expression, suck it up, buttercup, which is her way of reminding those women that were going through this very tough, unfriendly environment that they needed to be tough and smart and, you know, and suck it up to get through. And that's how Kathy's classmates remember her. And that's how, you know, we remember her as this wonderful person with, um, you know, the endlessly upbeat attitude. She had red hair and bright blue eyes and sort of a peaches and cream complexion. She was kind of a boyish, but very pretty um, person who would be, you know, like the best friend you ever had. Yeah, everybody who gets involved with this case, who learns about it or profiles it or works on it or something, everybody invariably falls in love with Kathy. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it really is true, Bill. The number of people who have, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking too of um, uh, Maureen O'Connell, our um, FBI agent who worked with us on the Lover's Lane murders and Lonnie Coombs, uh, who is, um, both of these women are are formidable badass women all on their own, but both of them said very, very immediately they fell in love with Kathy because they could see something of themselves in Kathy or they wanted to see something of themselves in Kathy. And I think that's true of everybody who gets involved with this case, like myself included. Kathy is magnetic and everybody, just everybody kind of falls in love with her a little bit. And you can see from the way Bill describes her, I get it why. Wow, she sounds like she was amazing. You get emotional talking about her. Yeah, yeah, I do. Kristen does. Yeah, Kristen did too. A little bit, a little bit too. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's at this point, I've been, I haven't lived with this case as long as Bill has, not at all. But I, um, you know, I've been working on, on it with him since 2016. And there's really no getting around the fact that you get involved with all of these victims and their families. But two weeks ago, we both had the privilege to speak at the unveiling of a memorial stone for Keith Call. Um, the Cumberland Historic Cemetery Association very graciously donated a memorial stone to sit at the base of the Call family parents' gravestones so that if Keith is ever found, his remains can be interred underneath it so that he's with his family. Oh. And so Bill and I were both, um, you know, really just honored to speak at that memorial. And that was, that was harder on both of us than I think we were expecting. It, it was, it was rough. And I get why it was rough for Bill, because, you know, this is, the case. I had no idea it was going to be rough for me too, but it it was. And that's because I'm, I'm so intertwined with these families in these cases now that, uh, yeah, there are times that I'm like, I don't know why I'm tearing up over this, but actually I kind of do. I mean, it, I've been with this since 2016 and I mean, I'm in it till the bitter end. You know, I, I want to see, I want to see justice done for these families. Well, and one of the things that's so difficult is that for all of these eight families, it's um, it's the not knowing. Keith and Sandy went missing, which I actually think is worse than going through a homicide because it, even in the years I've known them, every once in a while it'll come out that they still hold 
the, the smallest amount of hope that somehow Keith will walk through the door tomorrow, that somehow Sandy's going to show up at her parents' house. And I remember when we met them back in 2010, I remember my father who was alive back then, he's since passed. He, he remember he leaned forward from the back seat of the car when we were driving back after this big meeting with the FBI. And he said, at least we know what happened to Kathy. Like they don't even know what happened to Keith and Sandy. And as Kristen was saying, one of the reasons why they had this memorial stone dedication is in a missing persons case, you don't ever have actually have a funeral or any kind of memorial service because, you know, the hope is that as the year, even as the years go by, that somehow a miracle is going to happen and you're going to find out that they're okay. And so uh, they made a decision after they were approached by these very kind people from Maryland who the Cumberland historical cemetery organization who had offered to pay for this stone and put together this beautiful ceremony. And it caused both of us, Kristen and I, to kind of revisit how difficult it must be for someone to be wondering 35 years later what happened to their loved ones. We're all looking for answers. I'm not comfortable anymore talking about justice. And we've talked about it on the podcast several times. I, I'm very uncomfortable personally. This is, other people may feel totally differently. I'm not comfortable at all talking about closure anymore. All we're looking for are answers at this point. I, I, I said in, in my remarks uh, at Keith's memorial, justice seems like an alien word to me. Closure is not a word that I'm comfortable with. Now, somebody else might feel differently, and, and that doesn't make me wrong and them right or vice versa. If they can get to that place, God bless them, but that's not where I am. At this point, all I'm looking for are answers in the Colonial Parkway murders, Kathy, Becky, and all the victims. I talk a lot about that with um, Amanda and Drew, and I, I feel the same exact way. I, I know it's kind of weird where I say, you know, I don't even really care about justice anymore. It's I want answers. Mm -hmm. um, there's no closure. There's never closure. No. I mean, no. you, you're always just looking for answers. And... Um, yeah, I, I totally relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even think about justice anymore. I mean, I guess I've come to the point, I mean, it's been 35 years, so I, I've come to the point where, okay, uh, am I ever going to see justice? Um, probably not. I do have that little tiny bit of hope that I, I might be able to, but to, to realistically think about it, no, I, I never see justice i mean i would love to be able to stand in front of the son of a bitch and and give an impact statement a victim impact statement but i know that'll probably never happen but some answers would be nice you know but i feel like your podcast in a lot of ways is your victim's impact statement it's you being able to say to everybody here here is what happened but here i am you son of a bitch i'm still standing like, yeah, good on you, Jane. You know, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I won. Yes, ma'am, you did. <laughs> I won. Me and my daughter. Yep. Yep. So I mentioned it in the introduction, um, but we were able to witness one of the most emotional and touching moments at CrimeCon, at least for us. And it is thank in part two 
villain, Kristen, for introducing Jane and Kathy Kleiner. Um, being able to to see that moment um, was very special to us. I know it's a moment that I'll always remember, but just being able for you guys to introduce the two of them was very special, and I thank you for that. Oh, that was Kristen's doing. <laughs> I do. I thank you very much for that. Yeah, that was, uh, we, we actually just had Kathy on our podcast, I think it was two weeks ago, and we we talked to her about that. And um, uh, yeah, that was, I'm going to, I can't, I'm going to get upset if I talk about it, but it, it, it just felt like it was really important um, for the two of you to meet. And Jane, just your face when, when you saw Kathy, and then Kathy is just... Uh, I don't think I've ever met someone who's just so innately compassionate and empathetic. And she just walked right over to you and hugged you. And it was like, Oh my, Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I think the four of us just kind of circled around them with our cameras, yeah. just yeah. taking pictures <laughs> to like, yep. we knew what we were capturing. Yeah. yeah. It was I pretty, mean, pretty amazing. I mean, even the energy changed like literally right where we were the energy changed everything. And it was almost like there wasn't even any other people around. I know that the entire convention was still packed, you know, but there wasn't anyone else around in that moment either. And so. Well, and, and uh, it clearly resonated because here we are now, this is the, the second time we've talked about it, uh, you know, on a podcast and Kathy was very, very touched by it and still talking about it weeks and weeks later and she was so inspired to meet you oh i was i see i can't talk about it without crying i was very inspired by meeting her um she's so tiny she is she's so <laughs> I tiny know. i know she is so tiny and she's a dynamo you know, though she i know she fought off a serial killer Holy yeah. shit. you know it's like so no matter what her size was, she was six foot tall to me. Yeah. Um, and she just, uh, she's amazing. She's, we're trying to get her on our podcast. If we oh, can get yeah. some contact info from you guys. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah totally. Well, she she's going to want to talk about her new book, A Light in the Dark. Survival yes, Ted yes. I bought her new book at CrimeCon. Yeah, me too. So, uh, yeah. I started reading it. and oh, wow. It's fantastic. It really is. Yeah. And, of course, a big thing for, for Kathy is she wants all of the victims to be remembered. One of the things she talked about in the book and she talked to us about in the podcast was that she feels, and she's really right, she sees these articles and it just lists a whole bunch of names. That's it. Just name, comma name comma and she actually in her book has these appendices that talk about what all of us can do to focus on the victims and survivors mm -hmm. and not focus on the killer and she writes a, a a very nice paragraph about every single one of the victims a little bit about who they were and what they what they wanted to do with their lives and it it really begins to fill out the people that were impacted by that case including the victims in a way that i think is really a very meaningful and it's important to her because she i think she considers herself lucky 
in 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 her own way and and not only did she survive an attack by ted bundy but she uh, survived lupus and breast cancer so she's a fighter on so many different levels but she because she's still able to use her voice to tell the story she wants to include all of the people who she feels uh have been forgotten or are separated by commas that's that's exactly what we do we uh we very seldom talk about the monster it's i i talk about every single one of them that did not survive by name Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not victim one victim two victim three no i talk about them by name i talk about who they were what they were doing that that's exactly what i do because um it's about them people don't always remember who the victims were or the survivors were uh, um but they always remember the monsters and right and that's now i i've very seldom talk about him it's it's mostly about them We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. And now back to our episode. Sometimes when I'm talking about like that particular case or others, you know how you're talking and you're also thinking about like the next thing you're going to say. Sometimes I'll actually think to myself, am I going to be able to get through this paragraph, if you will, without mentioning his name? Because sometimes I'll think to myself, boy, it would be great if I could tell that story without mentioning the offender's name, not once, because everybody, like you said a moment ago, knows the killer's name, and it's just grotesque. And I would so much rather talk about the the innocents, the amazing people that we lost, the amazing people like yourself, Jane, that have survived. I don't want to talk about, about some who's either in jail or dead and in either one of those is fine with me. But sometimes I'll think to myself as we're going along, Chris and I are talking about a case or whatever. And I'll think, can I get through this paragraph without saying his name? (laughs) Because I really don't want to sully the story with, you know, endless repetitions of whatever the offender's name is. Yeah. I know I found when we went to crime con, I was so surprised at how victim focused it was there. I absolutely loved it. I, 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 I didn't expect that. Did not expect that. Yeah. I can honestly say at least me and Amanda, we were definitely worried about Jane going to crime con, you know, who was she going to get approached by? What you know, what discussions was she going to be forced to partake in? And we, you know, that was our main objective was to be there to look after her. Mm-hmm. If, you know, saw that she was getting ready to have a little bit of a tough moment, just pull her and bring her away from it. But we noticed that, yeah, the energy was just great. And I did want to ask you, with the true crime genre, are you seeing a change with it kind of going a little bit more victim survivor focus rather than the the killers? Or are you still seeing the focus still on the killers themselves? I think it is getting more victim focused and survivor focused. And, and I mean, just speaking as someone who um, I haven't been to all the crime cons, but I went from like the second one forward. Crime con itself has gotten a lot more victim and survivor focused. And and I think that is only to the good. Um, I think that the the podcasters who understand 
that victims and survivors are paramount are the ones who are out there like they're doing the best possible job. I don't have a lot of respect for anybody who's doing a rip and read from Wikipedia um, who doesn't take any time to focus on the victims or learn their names. Um, I have much more respect for people like you all who are taking the time um, to really stop and focus on like, here are the victims, here are the survivors, and here is what it is like to live and survive and then ultimately thrive like you have, Jane, in the wake of this, you know, terrible tragedy that has happened. Um, I, I think I, I think that there are still podcasters and TV networks and movies out there that could be doing a much better job but I do feel like it is improving every year. Yeah. In 2019, I went to CrimeCon and the Washington Post did a cover story in their magazine about my trip to CrimeCon. And it talked about this tension between people like ourselves, survivors, using an opportunity like CrimeCon to help shine the media spotlight on our unsolved cases. And at the same time, you know, CrimeCon has made, as Kristen said a moment ago, they've made significant strides. Yes. I criticized CrimeCon and even some of the people that attended CrimeCon back in 2019 because I did not think they were sufficiently focused on victims, family members, and survivors. And I, I said publicly, and I wasn't the only person that said this, that something that made me terribly uncomfortable was having people walk up to me who were wearing t-shirts with serial killers faces on them. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not easily offended, but that's dis that's blatantly disrespectful. I, I remember describing a woman who had clearly made a beautiful dress. This was a handmade work of art. But when I looked at it closely, it was the faces of all these serial killers. She had made this by hand. And I just thought to myself, you know, wrong audience. If you want to wear that somewhere else, but you know good and goddamn well that when you go to something like CrimeCon, you're going to meet families, survivors, and victims of violent crime, including possibly people that have actually faced down those serial killers you're, you think is so hip and edgy to be wearing a T-shirt or whatever just talk about tone deaf yeah like read the room <laughs> crime con i have to give them a lot of credit they have really made a significant effort to shift the focus and the conversation towards the kind of things that the three of you are working on here which is focus on the victims focus on these cases keep these cases moving forward show support for families and survivors and I got to give Kevin Balf and the people at CrimeCon a lot of credit. They took some criticism. They took their lumps, not just from Bill Thomas, but other people too. And they actually said, you know something? Very good point. So when they've got people that have worthwhile things to say, positive things to say, of course, CrimeCon should be fun. We have fun too. But, you know, part of the fun is being able to listen to these amazing, inspiring speakers like Jane talk about their cases and talk about their survival and how she's moved her life forward. That and, and, and we, you know, we love to laugh and have fun and and see people and learn from people. 
I think there's a way to do that. And I think CrimeCon is striking the right tone and they've made a lot of strides. So I have to give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah. And I mean, was there the occasional instance over this past CrimeCon weekend where like I looked up at one point and somebody was wearing a BTK fan t-shirt and all I could think was, God, I hope Carrie Rawson doesn't catch sight of that person. <sighs> because how must it feel to be, you know, his daughter and turn the corner to see his face plastered on somebody's chest. Yeah. But for that is that was few and far between. And like, I, I mean, I only remember it because I leaned over and commented to Bill, you see that, that you see the loser in the BTK t-shirt. I hope Carrie Rawson doesn't, you know, see them. Um, but it, it was so few and far between. I, I can only imagine that it was just one or two people that kind of slipped through the cracks with that. Everybody else seemed to be kind of leaning into the basically a detective aesthetic or the murder shows in comfy clothes aesthetic, you know, and, and not the, not the, you know, here, here's my Ted Bundy, you know, loving shirt or something like that. We get that. And we also understand that, you know, true crime can be very entertaining and everybody likes a good mystery. It makes me happy though, when you walk into the hotel ballroom there and there's 2000 people in there oh to, see, to see the sister survivors mm -hmm. uh, from the golden state killer case ha reunite with Paul holes who helped solve their case. That's exciting to, you know, to see these amazing badass women and the detective that helped solve their case reunite. That's exciting. That's um, to see that level of support, that makes me really happy. And I'm also very interested in plunking myself down and hearing their story again, because it's a great story. Do you think CrimeCon putting together that group that Bill and Jane, you are a part of, is going to bring a lot of value in the years coming forward? I hope so. I, I'd like to think so. Well, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, I there was a lot of... You guys ended up missing it, or you showed up late, Bill, for I'm some reason. From one thing to another. <laughs> <laughs> so much great stuff going on. You can't, you know, you can't be everywhere. No. But yeah. But um, I thought the people that they chose to be part of that 25 was amazing. Um, everybody had a different story. Everybody had a different purpose to be in there. Um, they all advocated for different reasons and for different people. I, I thought it was amazing. I, um, me and my daughter uh, were in, was, was invited to that and it, it blew me away. I uh, stand there and listen to all their stories. It was uh, pretty um, powerful. I was there for that one. I, I think I was... I spoke at the at the back end of it, just the way we went around the room, just for everybody's benefit. There were 25 or 30 people that were invited to a first-time event. They were calling the advocates, and everybody in the room has been directly touched by violent crime. And so there were a lot of people from cases that you know, and then there were several people that were there from brand-new cases that I hadn't even heard about yet. And... Someone made a decision, which was an interesting one. I think it was a, the, the right call. But at some point, someone said, why don't we go around the room and everyone introduce themselves? This is like, you know, probably close to 30 people. And some people talk more and some people talk less. But everybody went around and told their story. But, of course, by the end, you go all the way around the circle. Man, you have heard some unbelievable stories. Some pretty heartbreaking stories 
moments and there were a lot of tears. I don't know how you yeah, it was. I felt like I had been through the literally through the ringer by the time we got to the other end of the circle because there were a lot of people that I knew and whose stories I was familiar with. And then there were these new stories and oh my gosh, lots of tears and a lot of people clearly really struggling, whether it was something that happened six months ago or 35 years ago. But everybody was so supportive of everybody. It was a, a gathering nobody wants to be invited to, right. but the ones that were invited to it were grateful that that, or I was grateful for that meeting, I guess is the best way I could put it. Um, yeah, there was some incredible stories. Yeah. I, I, I'd give anything, I'd give anything not to be invited to that meeting, but, um, you know, that, that would require a, a significant change in, in fate. It, it was an honor to be in the room and to listen to these stories, but not easy. Yeah. I know when I, it was my turn to speak. I was like, okay, I can keep it together. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I lost it. I, Jesus, I don't even know how I got through it. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, it's it's about that time. You've got one last question for Kristen. Okay. Do any of your students show any interest in what you do with the podcast? Um, they do actually. Um, I, I'm a little. It's a little weird. It's a little weird to me, honestly, um, because I, I I'm not a hundred percent. I'm not hundred percent down with my kids <laughs> deciding that they're going to listen to the podcast because I don't know how they're going to react to it. I don't want them making like memes of me behind my back and circulating them around social media or something like. Oh my gosh. Um, but I I do have some kids who are very interested in true crime. And so they have listened to the pod. Um, it, it's even it's even weirder on occasion when I have a parent of a student who listens to the podcast and they send me an email and they're like, hey, I'm reading about my kid's grade, but also I really like your podcast. And I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that information, but okay. Um, so yeah, occasionally, I mean, all of my kids know that I do it. I keep a mind over murder, um, you know, postcard on my, on my wall. And so people do ask like, oh, what's that? I'm like, I'm a podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I did have some kids the other day. I saw them checking out our webpage. I'm sitting, I'm sitting there going, oh, I hope, I hope Bill didn't put any really awful photos of me on the webpage. <laughs> I was like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we wanted to Photoshop you into the background of some of the stuff that we were doing. I'm like, please don't. Like, oh, don't, no. don't do that. Like, don't. So, so now, Bill, I'm going to have to start asking that you let me have final approval over what goes up on the webpage because my, my students are finding it. But I, I mean, they know, and for the most part, they're kind of cool about it. And they do occasionally ask questions, um, but I, I think mainly they're teenagers and they're interested in their own stuff and and not what the old folks are doing. I'm just so pleased that you don't make me call you Ms. Dilly. On the <laughs> oh. <laughs> it makes me feel better that you, that's not a requirement of mine. Oh, my order. God. Oh, no, I don't want my two lives to mix any more than they already are. It's too weird as yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. Now in the small world department, I'm doing an interview tomorrow night with three students who are in a forensics program at the university of New Hampshire. And they, you know, they 
their professor, whom I spoke to the other day, um, had said they could look at any true crime case that they wanted to. And I've got three young women that are interviewing me all about the Colonial Parkway murders. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that these three, you know, extremely enthusiastic, what are they, about 20, 21 years old? Um, <laughs> you know, young people are, are so interested in a case that's now 37 years old. But at the same time, I really appreciate the fact that young people as young as Kristen's students or, or this college group from UNH are interested in learning about true crime and forensics and how they can be, you know, part of the solution. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Kristen, what grade do you teach? Cause you said teenagers. That was um, yes, I, I teach 11th grade 11th. and, okay. um, yeah, that's that's actually the age that I feel like I can most easily deal with mm-hmm. because middle yep. school is a yep. war zone. Yep. And oh yeah. <laughs> and by the time you get them as seniors, they're jaded and they just went out. But with eleventh grade, I got a little bit of leverage to hold over them. You still have SATs you need to do. I still have there is knowledge that you need from me. So yeah, eleventh graders. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. It's it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. I think we should give a shout out next episode to all of your. Ms. Dilly's students. I think so too. I think that's a fantastic idea. Oh my gosh, that's an awesome idea. Uh, we shout out the FBI. Why not everybody else? We yeah. do. Yeah. We do. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if the FBI analyst who listens to our podcast is going to meander their way over here and start listening to uh, and start listening over here. Well, let us know. We'll do a cross promotion in that way. Yes. FBI analyst. Yes. We'll be able to listen to Invisible Tears as well. Yes. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I um. Got a call from the AG office a couple of weeks ago. He wanted to touch base with me, see how things were going and stuff. And uh, I said, yeah, I want to talk to him a little bit about the new forensic stuff that we heard from at, when we were at CrimeCon. And uh, so I told him we went to CrimeCon down in Orlando. He's like, oh, I heard. I was like, oh, okay, I know where he heard that. I heard that on our podcast. They listened. Okay, somebody in that office is listening to us. Yeah, the AG's office, we have listeners. Some of the local police departments, we've been told that they're listening as well, so... It is a it's a little weird to know that. I mean, we we actually did just get confirmation the other day from our FBI agent who was very quick to say they don't listen to the podcast. They were like, but people in my office do. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that's maybe maybe I people in the office. <laughs> maybe I do need to tone down on swagging the FBI <laughs> just just a little bit. I don't want someone rolling up to my school and being like, are you aware? <laughs> you know, are you aware that one of your teachers has a podcast and they are aware? Yes. <laughs> like my school district is aware. They know. I, I, I look at it as this is, this is our format. I at first was like, okay, I want to be careful on what I say and, mm-hmm. and who I might offend. And then I was like, you know what? No, this is my podcast. This Go is right. our podcast. That's right. I am going to say what I want to say, how I feel. You can either not like it, you can like it, I don't care, I may offend you, I may not offend you, I don't care, this is mine, and uh, that's that's the way I look at it. Love it. That's Works great. for me. <laughs> Converse, conversation for another day, the FBI has also told me that there are individual suspects 
that they think also listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. There's something to think mm-hmm. about. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised either. Well, the in, the infamous Bob Smith that reached out to us. Oh, yeah. The, that was a weird one. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Bob, Bob if you're listening. Yep, Bob. There's a shout out. You got a shout out, Bob. But Bob's website still isn't back up. I'd love for it to go back up, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, come on. You've got fans. We want to we wanna see what you've got to say. <laughs> I know. Contact us again. All right. Well, it was so great having you guys on. And we got to do this again. Definitely got to do this, this so again. Fun. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Was, Thank you guys so much. Thank, Thank you. you. And Thank it was you. so nice meeting you guys. And um, till next time. All right. Till next time. Thank you guys so much. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Invisible Tears. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to hear all future episodes. Click into our link tree too in the episode description to find and follow us on all our social medias. And it also links to our website, invisible-tears.com, where you can keep current on any events that may be coming up, read more about Jane and the team, and read more about all the Connecticut River Valley unsolved cases. If you want to learn more about my wellness practice, Guided Path Wellness, head to guidedpathwellness.org. There you can read more about me and my certifications, more about the Reiki and coaching services I offer both in person and remote, and read all about my products for sale that I make through the practice. Feel free to utilize the contact us section on the website with any questions or utilize that free 15 minute consultation booking button if you have any questions about what might work for you. Evil may exist in this world, but we will not let it win. See you next episode.